When Pastor Charles asked me to bring a message this morning, I felt led to resurrect a sermon that I preached here several years ago. I thought that would be okay because many of you were not here, and those of you who were probably have forgotten it. But I believe that every sermon ought to be applicable to everybody's life. So I wanted to bring a message on the subject of frostbite. In 1967, I was pastoring a church in uh, north central Texas and accepted a call to pastor a church in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Now, if you're not familiar with Green Bay, it's a beautiful city of about 150,000 people in northeastern Wisconsin. That's not the end of the world, but you can almost see it from there. (laughs) Our family and friends thought that we had completely lost our mind. They began telling us how cold it was. They began telling us uh, how difficult it was going to be to get through that uh, first long winter. But I thought to myself, it gets pretty cold in Texas. I think we'll be just fine. So we moved to Green Bay, Wisconsin. The church property is right across the street from the Green Bay Packers Stadium. And I remember when we got there in mid-July, I'm standing outside and the sun is shining, the grass is green, and I'm thinking to myself, this weather's okay. Seems fine to me. And then August and September rolled around, and it began to get a little bit cooler. And then October came, and one man came up to me and said, Pastor, you need to get some snow tires on your car. And I thought to myself, don't need any snow tires. Got brand new tires on this car. Why would I buy snow tires? And then the month of November, after a couple of ice storms and three fender benders, I went to the same guy and I said, now where do you get those snow tires that you were talking about? And then along came December. Now December was one of the coldest months on record in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And it just so happened that the Dallas Cowboys were going to play the Green Bay Packers on December 31st, 1967, for the National Football Championship, and one of the deacons gave me a ticket to the game. (laughs) And I thought to myself, now this is great. I have a ticket to this ice bowl game. All week long, the news media were telling us how cold it was going to be that day. There were warnings of severe frostbite. There were people telling us, dress as warmly as you possibly can. Now the man who told me about the need for snow tires came up to me and said, you know, Pastor, I've got this snowmobile suit, and you need to wear this snowmobile suit when you go to that ball game." Remembering my experience of the snow tires, I decided I'm going to take his advice. So I put on his uh, snowsuit, and I had gloves like you would find in Texas, and I had uh, uh, a scarf like you would wear uh, in Texas, and I had uh, the uh, hat that you would wear, and I had shoes. I thought, well, I'll put on an extra pair of socks. And uh, off I went to the famous Ice Bowl football game. Now, The warnings of severe frostbite 
became very clear to everyone that was there. For example, there's five symptoms to frostbite. The first symptom is a feeling of extreme coldness. <laughs> I thought to myself when I stepped outside, I've already got that. <laughs> and then the second of the five symptoms was a sensation of tingling. Well, by the time I got to the stadium, my fingers and my toes and my ears were already tingling. And then the third symptom is a numbness. Before the end of the first quarter, I had that numbness. And then the fourth symptom is a loss of all feeling. By halftime, all of us in the stadium had that. <laughs> and then the fifth symptom is all thoughts began to turn inward. And before the end of the first, fourth quarter, all of us had that. It didn't matter who won the football game. Let's just get it over with and go home and warm up. Frostbite has struck again. Now you may be saying, we don't have that problem in Florida. You're not likely going to get frostbitten living in the state of Florida. Therefore, how does this relate to where we live today? Well, there is what I call spiritual frostbite. It has a lot of the same symptoms of physical frostbite. Spiritual frostbite, for example, can have lasting consequences. In fact, there may even be some people here today that are suffering from spiritual frostbite and don't even know it, not aware of it. It uh, is actually more dangerous than physical frostbite because spiritual frostbite has lasting consequences. And it can affect a lot of other people. What I call spiritual frostbite has similar symptoms to physical frostbite. For example, you begin to feel extremely cold to God's Word and to God's work. At first, a person might blame others. They might see the problem uh, being the fault of someone else. Uh, it's the fault of the church or the fault of the preacher or the deacons or the wife or the husband. Someone said something, or someone didn't say something, someone did something, or someone didn't do something. It leaves a person feeling kind of cold to the church, and a feeling of kind of cold to God's work altogether. First symptom, a spiritual frostbite. And then the second symptom creeps in. The second symptom of spiritual frostbite is a sensation of tingling begins to take place. You still feel some warm feelings like you did at first, but you don't seem to respond like you used to. Someone who has this second symptom begins to get real critical. They can always find something that isn't quite right, something to criticize, cynical, sarcastic, uh, and then this second symptom of spiritual frostbite strikes. It happens to a lot of people. It happens in a lot of different churches. And the third symptom of what I call spiritual frostbite takes place when spiritual numbness creeps in. This is when a person really doesn't care anymore about what's going to go on in the church, really doesn't care anymore about God's work. Maybe they once did, but they don't anymore. And so they're just kind of uh, spiritually numb, no longer concerned about God's work at all. Perhaps thinking someone needs to do something as long as it's somebody else. And then all kinds of questions come into the mind. 
They began to blame God and get mad at God for something that they thought God should have done. Or they began to rationalize and excuse themselves and say, well, I know God's okay with what I'm doing and how I'm living. Spiritual numbness creeps in. And then there's a fourth symptom, the spiritual frostbite. All loss of feeling begins to occur. All loss of caring, no longer loving, no longer sensitive to uh, the needs of others or the needs of the local church or the needs of uh, God's kingdom. There's no longer a desire to worship, no desire to serve, no desire to witness, no desire to give, no desire to pray, no desire to read the word, no desire to be with God's people, just total apathy to the things of God. And then finally, if one's not careful, the fifth symptom sneaks into life. All thoughts began to turn inward. Spiritual frostbite has struck again. And the victory belongs to Satan. It's me, myself, and I. It's a person thinking, well, this is what I think I want to do. This is where I think I want to go. This is what I think ought to happen. And so all thoughts began to turn inward. And spiritual frostbite has struck again. Victory goes to Satan. Well, interestingly, God has provided a way whereby we can withstand the temptations of spiritual frostbite. And if you take your Bibles and turn with me, and I hope that you do, I promise you, you'll always get more out of the message if you open your Bible to the text and follow with me as we look at these verses from God's Word. What I call spiritual frostbite is when all thoughts begin to turn inward and everything is about me, myself, and, and, uh, and what I think and what I want to do and where I want to go. But let me share with you in Ephesians chapter 6, New Testament, book of Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 10 down through verse 20, God provides believers with needed resources to live Christian lives. And it is our responsibility to accept these offerings from God, to accept these opportunities from God. This is a believer's responsibility to, to accept what God wants to give to us so that we're not going to be tempted by all of the temptations of the world. Follow with me as we look at these scriptures, thinking about how it pertains to all of our lives today. Beginning with verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all, stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, 
that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I think God is saying to us in this portion of Scripture, here are some ways to help us overcome spiritual numbness. Here are some ways to help us overcome spiritual frostbite. Here are some ways to help us focus on God and to keep our focus on God. When we gather together for our worship service, really all of us are worshiping God. He's the one that we're here to serve. He's the one that we're here to worship, and our focus needs to be on Him. But it's possible to be in a worship service and never even give a thought to God. It's possible to live out our lives as Christians and give very little service to God. And so the Scripture is reminding us that God has given to believers this spiritual armament, if you will, so that we can live out our Christian lives in a way that would be pleasing to God. This passage in Ephesians chapter 6 is a picture of a Roman soldier going out into battle. And before that soldier goes out into battle, that soldier needs to put on all the armament needed to be a conquering warrior. God is doing the same thing here in the Scriptures. He's telling us that he wants to give us spiritual armament because you and I, whether we realize it or not, you and I are engaged in spiritual warfare every day of our lives. Right now, you and I are engaged in spiritual warfare. When you go to your home, when you go to work, when you're in school, when you're in your neighborhood, everywhere that we travel, we are engaged in constant spiritual warfare, and we will be defeated if we don't rely on the provisions that God has given to us. Look with me again at this text. It starts in verse 10 by saying, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I think the scripture saying is, Our strength is not in ourselves. No matter how wise we may think we are, no matter where we live, no matter how strong we may think we are, if we're going to defeat Satan and win spiritual battles, it's not in our strength. It's not in our ability. It's in Him. So we find our strength in Him, and we find the power of His might is going to prevail over the one who is constantly trying to bring schemes into our life. There's one thing that I know that's going on in all of our lives. Satan wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy my life. He wants to destroy our families. He would like to destroy every biblical church. Satan is constantly trying to bring division and discouragement. He will do it in national governments. He will do it in local churches. He will do it in families. He will do it in individual lives at any age if we allow him to do it. And so the scripture is saying, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then he says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. In other words, not just a part of it, but put on the whole armor of God. Now what is the armor of God? Look with me down in verse 13. In verse 13, it begins by saying, <coughs> Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, 
we learned Wednesday night, when you see that word therefore uh, in a statement, it means that it's there for a reason. And when you see the word therefore here, it's referring back to the fact that we're all engaged in spiritual warfare. Therefore, he says, take up the whole armor of God that you can withstand the schemes of the devil. And then it begins to list the armament that God has provided for us. There's seven pieces to the spiritual armament. Follow with me in the scripture and see if you have accepted and if you're utilizing all seven of these spiritual parts of the spiritual armament that God has given to us. He says in verse 14, Stand therefore, having surrounded your waist with truth. In other words, the scripture is saying, Surround yourself with truth. We're going to find truth in the Word of God. We're going to find truth in God alone as we look to the Lord for truth. It's amazing to me that so many people in our world search for truth in so many wrong places. If you want to find truth, look to the Word of God. Surround yourself with truth tellers. And here's one thing that you and I can do. It may be that we don't always know exactly what the truth is in a particular situation. But we can do this. We can come to the conclusion, whatever we say is truth as we understand it. In other words, we've decided we are not intentionally going to say something that we know is untruthful. The scripture is saying, surround yourself with truth. Search for truth. And when you find truth, Grab hold of it. Stand on it. Stand in the power of that truth. And as you stand in the power of that truth, you find that God will be ministering in you and God will be ministering through you. The scripture is an amazing document that God has given to us. I've often said that you can take one verse of scripture and read it several different times and you'll get multiple messages. It, it's, it's not that the message changes, it's just that there's additional messages there in that same verse. The more times that you read it, the more messages that you will get. And so the scripture says, here's what you want to do. You want to surround yourself with truth. You want to come to a place where the truth is going to be preached and the truth is going to be taught. And you want to open up your word even when you're not in a place of worship and service or a class and search for truth in God's word. Learn who he is. Learn more about him. Learn his names. Learn what he's done in your life. Think about what God has done in your life in the past and what he wants to do right now and what he's going to do in the future. Surround yourself with truth. But there's a second part of our spiritual armament. Notice that it says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. In other words, the scripture is saying, cover yourself with righteousness. Now here's the thing. The scripture indicates that none of us are righteous. You're not, I'm not, all have sinned and come short of God's glory. So how are we going to cover ourselves with righteousness? Here's the great truth. The scripture also says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So we find our righteousness in him. We find our hope in him we find our salvation in him a person can uh, a person who is not a christian can come to the conclusion 
I want to be a good person. I want to be a truth teller. I want to do right. I want to live right. But they will not be successful in doing it on their own because there's a sin nature there. And that sin nature can only be defeated through the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Christ went to Calvary. And so our righteousness is the righteousness in Christ. Here's the beautiful thing. When a Christian stands before God the Father, God the Father is going to see His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so your righteousness is going to be found in Christ. My righteousness is going to be found in Christ. And once we know that Christ is Savior, that He is Lord, we're going to want to become more like Him and more useful to Him. We are going to want to be involved in helping to build His kingdom and helping to enhance the local church and helping to minister to the needs of others. So the scripture says we want to add truth to our life. We want, we want to add righteousness to our life. Look at verse 15. In verse 15, the scripture says, And shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. In other words, plant yourself, plant your life with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what you want to plant. This is your foundation for Christian living. You want to, you want to plant your feet firmly in the Word of God. Plant your feet firmly in the gospel message. When you look at the, the gospel message, you find the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But when you think about that resurrection of Jesus, bear in mind that there were over 500 eyewitnesses to that resurrection. Bear in mind that these disciples who walked with him, knew him, loved him, they knew for a fact that he had died and he rose again. And almost all of them became martyrs. They would not die for something that they knew was not truth. You can plant your life. You can build your foundation on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you and I are building our lives on the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we're going to want to be active in the local church where we can worship Him, where we can fellowship with other believers, where we can encourage one another, where we can find places of service, things to do that will glorify God. Plant yourself in the gospel. That is a worthy way to live out our lives. But there's more to our spiritual armament. He also says in verse 16, Above all, take the shield of faith with which you can quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. The scripture is reminding us again that Satan is always scheming, always trying some way to deceive us, always trying some way to discourage us, always trying some way to get a foothold in our lives. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the Bible says that it is impossible to please God without faith. We don't please God without faith. In John chapter 20, verse 31, the scripture says, These things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is Christ. And by believing, you have life forevermore. That's why these things are written. So that you and I might know and believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so we stand on our faith. Let me encourage you. Live out your faith in your whole lifetime. Don't let it be just for a brief period of time, a few months or a year, or a period of time, come for a while, not come for a while, come for a while, not come for a while. Live out your faith on an ongoing, regular basis. Let your faith be something that not only is something that you're living for, 
but something that you are sharing with others through your lifestyle, through your witness, through your way of living. So the scripture is saying, this is a, this, this is a shield of faith by which you can withstand all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and they're certainly going to come. You don't always know when Satan is going to attack, how he's going to attack, how you're going to be tempted. You, have, you and I have no idea how we might be tempted tomorrow or next week or next month. Uh, it might come in the form of someone disagreeing, or it might come in the form of a sickness or an accident. It, might, it, it comes in so many different ways. Uh, life can get messy. And so we need to plant our life in the gospel firmly uh, in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice another part of our spiritual armament. He says in verse 17, And take the helmet of salvation. In other words, we want the, the crown of our life to be our salvation, our relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what drives us. This is what compels us, our own personal relationship with Christ. Stop and imagine all that that means. It's, it's absolutely mind-boggling. The great God of all creation wants to have a personal relationship with you and I. And He allows us not only to become a part of His family, but He allows us to be representatives of Him, ambassadors for Him everywhere that we go. And so He says, take up the helmet of salvation. And then also in verse uh, 17, notice He says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is our only offensive weapon. If you're talking with someone else and uh, they are interested in learning how to become a Christian, you want to share from the Word of God. You can share your testimony, and that's always very helpful and needed and important. But your authority is right here. This is God's Word. And notice that it says that uh, it's like a, the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God is like a sword that's uh, sharp on both sides. It penetrates. When you, uh, when you talk to someone about a passage of Scripture, the Spirit of God is at work, and the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, penetrates the mind and the lives of other people. Sometimes all you have to do is just read the Scripture and let God go to work. It's a penetrating force. It's, the, it's, the, it's called the sword of the Spirit for a reason. Uh, the sword penetrates the mind, penetrates the life. Uh, the Word of God not only penetrates our mind and our life, but it instills within us more great truths for us to base our life on. And then notice also, <coughs> it says in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Prayer is such an enormously important part of our lives. It's, it's an incredible, unbelievable experience that you and I can bring all things before God at any time, anywhere, in any place, in any condition. In fact, the scriptures tell us, pray without ceasing. What that means is that our mind and our focus is on God. We're aware of the presence of God. Even if our eyes are not closed and our head is not bowed, we, are, we can be aware of God's presence. We can be aware of what God is doing in our lives. We can be aware of what God is doing in someone else's life. God is always at work in your life and my life. He's at work in the life of the person sitting next to you right now. He's at work in your life. And so the scripture is saying that we are to always be in prayer in the good times and the not-so-good times. 
in the difficult moments and in the times of celebration and victory. In all situations, always we want to be prayerful. It seems to me that God wants us to put on the whole spiritual armament, not just so that we might be protected individually. He wants us to put on the whole spiritual armament so that we can be engaged with, uh, uh, with, with others, uh, other believers and other Christians around the world, and we are involved with other believers helping to build the kingdom of God. Now that's a life worth living. That gives us purpose. That gives us something worth, that's worth getting up for every day. You are engaged with other believers helping to build the kingdom of God. So when we come to First Baptist Church Luke, we're not just coming for a worship service. We're not just coming for a Bible class. We are engaged with other believers around the world helping to build the kingdom of God. Now that's a life worth living. When you stop and think about God, Think about all that he's done for you. And one of the ways that uh, you can be blessed is to think about the names of God. Prayer keeps our focus on God, and the names of God helps us to realize more about who he is, helps us to understand what he's doing in the world and what he's doing in our lives. The names of God are one of the ways by which we know him and how we can better understand him. Through his names, we understand him as all-powerful, and yet personal. We understand him as a judge, and yet mercy giver. We understand him as a father, and yet a son. His names reveal so much about him and our need for him. To the weak, he is strong. To the confused, he is revelation. To the lost, he is savior. To the hopeless, he is sustainer. To the lonely, he is a friend. To the proud, he is God Almighty. To the sinner, he is the judge. To the scoffer, he is the king of kings. To the needy, he can do more than anyone can ever imagine. To the vulnerable, he's the warrior. To the sick, he's the healer. To the repentant, he's the forgiver. To the confused, he's the wonderful counselor. To the orphan, he's the everlasting father. At the beginning, he is creator. At the end, he's the righteous judge. At Christmas, he is Emmanuel, God with us. At Easter, he's the resurrection of the redeeming lamb. To those who know him, to those of us who know him, he is our maker, our rock, our savior, our stronghold, our banner, our advocate, our comforter, our confidence, our deliverer, our fortress, our God, our help, our abiding, our hiding place, our hope, our joy, our mentor, our light, our refuge, our shield, our strength, our deliverer. And to those who will receive him, he will become your glory, your savior, your redeemer, your shield, your great reward. And to all people of every nation, tribe, and tongue, for all time, he is Yahweh, the great I Am. He is the uncreated creator, the Lord of heaven and earth. His name is Jesus, the name above every name. This is who we worship. This is why we take a stand. This is why we want to plant our feet firmly in the gospel, because we want to have a part in what God is doing in the world today. Would you bow in prayer? If you've never received him, talking about Jesus, as your personal Lord and Savior, this is a perfect time to make that decision. 
right now, ask him to come into your life. Ask him to forgive you of all of your sin. He's the only one who can. And once you know that you've received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you'll want to make a profession of your faith in Jesus Christ. Make it public. We live public lives. We should make a public decision. It may be that some want to come and unite with First Baptist Church Lutz and become a part of our church family. It may be that there are other decisions that you know God wants you to make. Maybe spiritual frostbite has struck your life. You want to get things settled today. Whatever decision God leads you to make, we invite you to make that decision when our invitation is given in just a moment. Let's bow together and have a word of prayer. Our musicians will lead us in singing our invitational song. I'll be at the front. If there's a decision you know God wants you to make, you come as we stand and sing in a moment. Our Heavenly Father, we humbly bow before you. And we thank you that you have given us this privilege of prayer. We pray right now that your Holy Spirit will minister in all of our lives so that our lives might be found pleasing to you. Above all things in life, we want to please you. We want to honor you. We want to glorify you. And so I pray if there are any decisions that need to be made that your Holy Spirit is working in these lives right now, and I pray that your will might be known and done in all of our lives. And we ask it in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.